it's time for Fish Facts TV. Welcome to Fish Casting the Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Tanner of Fish Facts TV. Hey, everybody. I'm Captain Tim. <laughs> All right, guys. We got a great episode for you today. If you hear a slight beeping in the background, my freezer keeps going off, and there's really nothing I can do about it right now. I don't want to get into it. But uh, we got a great podcast today, Cool Fish of the Week. Um, I forgot to post questions again, so we're doing um, just some regular fishing tips. Um, And uh, yeah, here we go. Tim, I heard you finally got offshore this week. Give it to me quick. Or not, give it to me because I didn't go fishing. Um, Yeah, I did finally get offshore this week. I know I hinted at it um, last Thursday when we recorded. Um, had to take a day off of work to do it. Um, that's been kind of the story of the, the fall and winter this year is that the weekends have been awful, but the weekdays have been pretty good. Um, was able to get out um, targeting hogfish um, about 26, 27 miles out there in about 80 to 84 feet of water. Um, fishing and natural ledge bottom, um, ended up going out with my wife and two friends. Um, they were lucky enough to, to also have the day off. So, um, we were able to, to target those hogs, um, had a hard time getting shrimp. Um, I know I've mentioned before, I like shrimp for bait. It's my favorite bait for hogfish. Um, and you need a lot of them. Um, I would have liked to gotten like 30 dozen shrimp for four people, live shrimp. But uh, we were only able to get 22 dozen. Um, for some reason, the, the the shrimp in Tampa Bay were really hard to, to get a hold of. But um, went out with 22 dozen live shrimp and uh, a fair amount of dead shrimp and other different kinds of baits, just in case the hogfish bite wasn't great. Um, it is a little bit late in the year for the hogfish to really be congregating. Most of the schools have already spawned out and kind of dispersed. Um, was able to get on them really quickly, really easily. Um, this is a, a ledge I fished in the past. Um, one of my kind of go-to hogfish spots, but, uh, with four people fishing, um, we got out, maybe it was probably close to eight o'clock by the time we actually got out to the spot after a, a sizable run. And the four of us had a hogfish limit, which is 20 fish, um, before 10 30. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty amazing. Um, that's, you know, most of the fish we kept were the big male hogfish. Um, the, uh, hogfish are one of the species that transform from females to males. Um, so we were, we try to keep all males, but, um, funny thing about it is, is sometimes when the females, when they're, when they're big like that, they're in the transitioning phase. And also the females have a harder time making it back down to the bottom. Um, I've noticed that the barotrauma on the females, you can really see that they're affected more and you, you get a lot of, um, you know, they unfortunately die when you try to release them. So, uh, you really have to be kind of careful with those female hogfish, but, um, we do try to put as many females back as we can. Um, the big ones we, we ended up keeping, I think maybe two or three out of the 20 we kept were females. Um, I try not to do that. I don't condone it, but, um, we were trying to get to our limit. We did. Um, and the bite was so hot that after we got to our limit, we, we even tried switching up our tactics to try for more like a mangrove snapper, um, where, you know, I'll kind of go into it a little bit. Um, my favorite rigs for hogfish are knocker rigs where you have a, a hook and we're using 
two-aught or three-aught um, O'Shaughnessy live bait hooks by Mustad and an ounce and a half to two ounce um, egg weight right on the hook. Your, your, your weight is touching your hook. That way it gets the bait to the bottom and it gets down um, flush with the substrate. So that's where the hogs root around in. And that's what their bottom feeders kind of they pick for crabs, mollusks, different um, crustaceans, et cetera. So that gets the bait through um, the other, other type of fish that are higher up in the zone, gets it to the bottom and lets those hogfish eat. Um, that's my favorite rig for hogfish. Um, we're also using heavy jig heads, you know, three quarters of an ounce to an ounce to get it to the bottom. Um, we're also using what they call swing jigs, which are kind of a, a goofy looking um, jig head that the, instead of a fixed hook with lead, it's the, the hook's able to swing around a little bit. Um, people call them hog balls also. Um, there's a bunch of different name for, names for them. Um, and we were very successful on all those rigs. But, you know, I go into this detail because we changed up our tactic and started using fish finder rigs where your weight is a couple feet above your, your hook. So your shrimp can be up in the water column a little bit higher while your weight's on the bottom. These hogfish were eating them up off the bottom, which I've never experienced before. Um, we were also using dropper rigs or chicken rigs, um, kind of like you use for offshore where you have your weight on the bottom and your hook is a couple feet above. We were catching hogfish on those also. It was, it was pretty unreal. Um, and for every good hogfish we caught, we were catching really nice porgies too. So we brought home a total of 41 fish, um, 20 porgies, big porgies, some of the biggest golf porgies I've ever caught. Um, didn't take any pictures of them, but I got a lot of hogfish pictures. Um, 20 really good porgies, 20 really good hogs, and um, a keeper red grouper that was 23, 24 inches. So, you know, perfect eating size, not so huge that it's full of worms, but, you know, big enough to keep, I, you know. I can't say it enough how, how happy I was to get out there. Um, it's been a long time um, and not having been out since November, there's kind of a, a layer of affirmation that, you know, I still got it, you know, after, after it's been three months to go out there on your first time and, and to clean up like that, it was pretty remarkable. Yeah, Tim, sounds like it was really an incredible day. It's so funny you talk about 22 dozen shrimp. You know, I feel like growing up, we, we fished heavy shrimp, but, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever used more than 15 dozen, and, and that's fishing bridges in the Keys. Here in Miami, especially this time of year, we've been using a lot more pilchards or white bait um, as, as our primary bait. Um, so no snapper of any sort? Um, we did, uh, you know, now that I think about it, we did catch a couple, um, mangrove snappers, nothing, nothing huge in the 15 to 17 inch range. We did keep them. Um, we did keep those snappers as well. Um, and you know, there was, there was some grunts involved, but we let those go. Um, and, and you mentioned the 22 dozen shrimp. We were using half shrimp too. Um, generally speaking, um, you'll, you'll have to wade through a ton of grunts and porgies and, and gag grouper. We, we caught a bunch of gag grouper also while we were out there. Um, none of them were keeper size, but they're out of season anyway, so no harm there. Um, we have to wade through so many fish. And the, the fact of the matter is you don't want to run out um, while you're just getting onto the hot hog bite. For us, we ended up starting off hot on the hog bite and we kept it going all morning and we're heading back to the dock by 10 30 so and left them chewing 
you know, we caught four big male hogfish, you know, close to 20 inches long and had to let them go after we already had our limit. So um, we just stopped even trying to catch other snappers, trying to catch other fish. The hogs were just so, uh, so hungry and the bite was so good that it's like, we got to just stop because it's going to be so hard to not keep these fish as one of the best tasting fish out there and such a prize of the Gulf of Mexico and, you know, uh, this, this part of the world. It was, uh, we just had to leave the resource there and hopefully we'll get out soon. And, and maybe if we're lucky, they'll, they'll still be there in those numbers. Yeah, that's, that's really uh, another thing. Two more things, actually, I want to talk about slash ask you questions. How are you able to tell the difference between the males and the female hogfish? Um, you can, you can see them pretty easily. First off is size. If you have a, a hogfish that's over 15 inches, generally speaking, it's going to be a male um, the males, the coloration moves from like a, a, a kind of a, a real pinkish color on the females to like a lighter pink with a, um, a the nose becomes elongated like a snout um, that's like a dark, almost purple, dark red purple. Um, so they go from kind of a, uh, a pinkish, they look more feminine and I'm not trying to be, uh, be silly here, but they're a pinkish color. They don't have quite the, the hogfish, big snout, you know, flashy male characteristics. Um, when I send you a picture and our listeners, if they, if they uh, want to check it out, uh, my Instagram, there's a number of pictures there and you, you can definitely tell between the males and the females. Um, those of us that are holding, um, holding the, the hogfish, those are the males. So if you see kind of uh, embedded in the picture of everything laid out, um, you'll be able to tell the difference. Awesome. Now the last thing, uh, the knocker rig. So I know you said you like that for hogfish. I actually like using knockers a lot. I think they're great for beginners. You know, when I was a kid, I feel like that always got me on a knocker rig. When I'm out on the boat with people that don't really know what they're doing as much, having a knocker rig, they're generally easier to get unhung because the weight, you know, can knock the fish right off or knock the, um, the bottom right off. But uh, I, I really think they're a really, really good rig, um, and they have a lot of applications. Oh, definitely. Um, I'll use knocker rigs, you know, other, other species too. Um, they just seem to work really well for hogs, um, and it's definitely not species-specific. I'll fish gag grouper with them. I'll fish um, snapper. Really, it all depends on the presentation they want. Um, you know, we, we've talked about it so many times. When I go offshore, I'll bring out a number of different rods, all rigged differently. I, I know that the hogfish we're eating on that swing jig, on the big jig head, on the knocker rig, on the, the dropper rig, on the uh, fish finder rig, because I all had them all rigged up, ready to go, depending on what sort of presentation they wanted. I started out with a knocker rig and ended up using that all day. But near the end, I switched it up just to try and they wanted the other ones too. So I try to kind of have a very broad spectrum of different um, presentations. That way you're not wasting a lot of time retying one rod over and over and over again. You can, you can make the change really quickly if needed. And then also you have some similarities where the jig head works really similar to that swing jig or the knocker. So if I break off the knocker, I can just go right to the other one and keep fishing. Yeah, it's definitely uh, easier to retie a knocker than to retie your traditional fish finder rig. No question. But it was um, it was a good trip. 
um, I'm excited to try it again and um, I'll, I'll report back this weekend doesn't look so good. We just had a front come through and it's blowing 25 knots and it's going to be really cold. So um, unfortunately, uh, I'll probably have to stay indoors this weekend and um, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to greener pastures in the future and a lot more reports like this one I just gave. Absolutely. Absolutely, Tim. So uh, I heard you did some snorkeling and, and a little bit of fishing. Uh, how did you do this week? I, I had a rough week of fishing. Um, it was my wife's birthday, so uh, fishing was not the priority. Uh, I snuck up there a little bit on Tuesday. Uh, I went to the South Beach Pier, which I know has muttons. I know has Spanish mackerel right now, but the conditions were just awful, you know, Sometimes you try to go to a pier when the conditions aren't good because you can't take the boat out, but the conditions weren't good at the pier either. The, the wind was blowing 20. The current was probably at five knots. You know, we just couldn't, I think we caught one pork fish and one ballyhoo. And uh, that was the extent of all of the fish we got on the pier. It was just, the current was moving so fast. Uh, we, we threw a bag of chum, we saw some chubs, you know, I caught, a, I saw a couple small mangroves, but there were so many chubs, any little, and all, they were out of live shrimp. So all we had was dead shrimp. We did have live pilchards, but uh, you know, they just weren't getting hit. And when they were getting hit, it was just the chubs uh, ripping things up. So it was a really disappointing trip to the pier, but uh, you know, sometimes you just get those. It started raining for the rest of the day. So we were only out there for about an hour and a half, two hours. Um, but then because it was my wife's birthday, we decided to go up to Singer Island, which is near uh, Palm Beach. And it's actually the annual black tip run. So I was thinking about trying to fish there. Uh, apparently there was a lot of sharks off the beach, but I didn't see any. Uh, so I decided to go snorkeling anyways. Um, and maybe kind of scout out and decide if I wanted to fish. I thought maybe there could be snook, um, but I wasn't really sure. So the bottom on the beach there is actually there. The water on the beach there is actually very different uh, from the water here. It's a much more rockier limestone bottom. I think it probably is pretty comparable to the, to the Swiss cheese you've talked about. Just, you know, 50, 60 feet off the shore seven, eight feet deep, and it is hard limestone with big potholes. And, you know, the conditions weren't good. It was still a lot of wind, still a lot of waves, but I was just kind of scouting out there with my, uh, with my uh, mask on to see if I saw anything. And I did see a few mutton snappers. Um, none of them were big, but they were all eight to 10 inches. You know, I think if I do go back to that hotel, I'll try to catch some, but these days, I, I just didn't think it was worth my time and effort, especially on my wife's birthday. I, I didn't really want to take up a lot of time and effort so I could maybe catch two or three, you know, juvenile mutton snappers. Yeah, I think that was the smart choice, uh, seeing that it was the wife's birthday. Uh, you know, you described that the Swiss cheese and the parallels with uh, what you saw over there. That does sound really similar. You know, I bet that uh, if you if we went out, you know, 100 foot of water off this coast and kind of compared it, that it could possibly be, you know, really similar for sure. Yeah, it was it was a it was a disappointing week of fishing, but you know, I have two ideas. I may try to go back out to the South Beach Pier uh, Tuesday afternoon 
I have the boat on Thursday, which might, we might already have another podcast recorded by then, but I, I think Monday morning or Tuesday morning, I may try to go out and uh, hit the Everglades. It's getting the time of year where the largemouth bass in the Everglades really start to heat up. So uh, I'm thinking I might try to get some shiners and get some worms and maybe get some Mayan cichlids, some bass, and, uh, and see what happens. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Um, I wanted to talk real quick uh, about the, the chubs. Are those the Bermuda chubs, the kind of the trash fish? Is that what you were talking about? That you had? Yeah, the, the Bermuda the chubs. Pool? My dad yeah. always called them swimming snags. Right around the, the bridges and piers, basically, if you start chumming, there's a pretty good chance that these Bermuda chubs are going to show up. They have small mouths and they almost have beaks like a parrotfish. So they will just clean you out every time. You can only, you know, you'll catch them every once in a while, but you really have to try to catch them because of the, and with dead shrimp like we had, because they were out of live shrimp, you know, they just can rip it right off. So, you know, even if I would have wanted to catch some of these trash fish, you know, I really wasn't having any luck. And we were hoping that once we got that live ballyhoo, maybe we would get a mutton, but there was just so much current. It was just very difficult to fish. Yeah, that's tough. It, it definitely is. Um, hopefully, uh, next week will be better for us. Hopefully, we both get out there. But uh, time to move into our next segment, the fish of the week. This week, the fish of the week is the sand perch, Diplectrum formosum. Tim, have you ever caught a sand perch before? I have caught some sand perch before. Um, they're a, a, a cute little fish, um, but they can be very painful if you pick them up. Um, they have some really serious gill plates, um, you know, right on the outside of their, their face that are just serious. And once you seem to get your hand on, on the fish to unhook them, they flare them out. So I've been laid open a number of times by these guys. Um, they're actually really good bait. Um, they were kind of one of my, I don't want to say secret baits a few years ago for, for big gag grouper offshore, I would actually stop and, and try to target some of these fish, um, send them down either, either live or um, butterfly them. So you take the backbone out and, and they, they just, for some reason, a few years ago, the gag grouper on the uh, West coast of Florida just hammered them and, and no one else was seeming to use them. So I like them for bait. I, I still keep them around. If I, if I somehow stumble into them, I'll freeze them or I'll, uh, um, if, if I'm fishing offshore, I'll keep them on board, but they're also surprisingly decent to eat. Um, there's not a ton of meat on them cause they don't get very big, but if you get into a bunch of big ones, um, you need to take really good care of them because the meat can get mushy pretty quickly get them on ice, pack them down real, really good. Um, but uh, we, we jokingly call them yellow grouper sometimes because they, they have a grouper like, you know, the color of the flesh is, is, is nice and light like a grouper. And, um, you know, for people that don't know any better on a bad day of fishing, you can say, well, we got a bunch of yellow grouper and you're going home with grouper. So um, not that we would ever fib like that, but uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much uh, the extent I know about sand perch. They're, um, an interesting fish, um, not my favorite, but you know, they, they serve a purpose. And, and at the end of the day, they, I think they look kind of cool. How about you, Tanner? Yeah, they, they actually are a member of 
grouper family. So that probably explains their similar taste and general resemblance to the grouper. You know, that's a Serranidae includes groupers and sea basses. So uh, they are uh, in that family with those fish. I think they might be a little more closely related to the sea basses, but they, they are, uh, you know, generally similar. Um, I've never eaten one before, but my dad always said when he was a kid, they would fry him up and my grandmother would eat the fins when they fried them whole. And he said hmm. she thought they tasted like potato chips. Interesting if anyone wants uh, to try it. And um, I've been catching them, you know, intermittently in Miami. I'll catch one here or there. I've tried to use them for bait, but I haven't tried to drop one down deep yet. So, uh, you know, I would like to, cause I have heard they are great bait, but uh, I, I haven't used one for bait yet. You know, they live on, you know, they're called sand perch and they live on the sandy bottoms. And I, and I tend to find them on the outskirts of ledges or that Swiss cheese bottom or live bottom. And that's why I think that they're such a good grouper bait is because the grouper live on the structure. So if you get some of those sand perch off of the sand and bring them to the structure, um, I feel like that's probably why that they, they're um, so productive, but I haven't ever tried them up in the water column, just only on the, on the very bottom. Cause that's where they live is on, on the bottom on the sand. So um, give it a shot next time you get some. All right, Tim, last thing we got to, I, I forgot to put a question today. Um, so I just kind of wanted to say our, our fish fact tip of the week. And our fish fact tip of the week, especially for beginners and new fishermen, this is something that I've seen a lot of people without a lot of, a lot of fishing experience want to do, and that's reeling against the drag. Our tip of the week is do not reel against the drag. I think it's a natural instinct that when you get a big fish, especially if you've never caught a big fish before, and the fish starts running, you want to reel it in as fast as you can, or at least a lot of friends of mine want to reel it in as fast as they can. And when you reel and that drag is going out, the only thing that you're doing is spinning up your own line. You have any thoughts, Tim? Yeah. You know, it's one of those things that it, it's tough with you mentioned beginning fishermen and they're so excited and the, the drag's peeling out and they're sitting there reeling, reeling, reeling with one of these spinning reels. And as the drag's going and all they're doing, like you mentioned, is they're just twisting their line, getting all these twists. And, and before you know it, there's a huge bird's nest or if you're using um, braided line, the next time you go to throw it out, you get a huge wind knot. I mean, it can just really wreak havoc on you. Um, and there's really not a good way to undo it besides, you know, like dragging it behind the boat at idle and just letting all those twists come out. But um, it, it's tough to say, oh, all right, all right, hang, you know, chill out a little bit. I know you're excited, but I can't, yeah, I, I can't agree more. It's terrible for your line. Um, you risk losing the fish because you get a big knot in there. Um, but it's counterintuitive because they want to get that fish in and there goes the reel, you know, buzzing out the drag going and all they want to do is try to keep up and it just, it, it doesn't work. It's, it's, it's no good. It's one of those things where people like me and you who have been fishing our whole lives kind of take for granted. But, you know, when people are learning to fish later on, it's a, it's a hurdle that they have to figure out how to jump themselves. Oh, it's super tough to get over it too. You know, you can fish for people all day and, and, you know, they'll still do it at the end of the day, no matter how many times. <laughs> so hopefully they learn, but yeah, great tip this week, Tanner. 
Well, all right, guys. Um, remember, if you do have any questions, please send them to me on Instagram. Um, fishcasting underscore fishing underscore podcast. And now that we have our own Instagram, um, I will try to post this up. Um, I'm sorry for the irregular schedule lately, but we both had a lot of stuff going on. Hopefully next week we can get back to our regular Tuesday or Wednesday. And I apologize for this beeping. I don't know if the microphone's going to pick it up, but it's been driving me crazy the whole time we've been recording today. Yeah, I haven't heard it. And um, yeah, if you want to check out those hogfish pictures, uh, check it out on uh, Instagram at captain underscore strip. And uh, you'll see a bunch of those hogs and a, a couple good looking fellas holding them. All right, Tim. Well, uh, I'll see you next week. Remember, like and subscribe. Leave us five stars on iTunes. Thanks, everybody.